We're continuing our message series on the book of Jonah this morning, and we're up to Jonah chapter 3. Just to recap what we've talked about so far, in the first week of Jonah, we talked about that you can run from God, but you can't hide from God. Um, Last week when we talked about and looked at Jonah chapter 2, we kind of had three different points to it, and that is God has a way of getting your attention. Um, God got Jonah's attention by the big storm uh, that erupted and and being swallowed by the large fish after he was thrown into the sea. Uh, We talked about sometimes we're going to find ourselves in the belly of a, a big stinky fish too, and when we find ourselves in those difficult times in life, we need to pray out to God like Jonah prayed out to God, and God will hear our prayers. And the last Last thing we learned last week is the Lord hears us from those times and the Lord saves. Uh, this morning, what I want to talk with you about as we look at Jonah chapter 3 is I want to talk to you about the importance of surrendering to God. So if you haven't been here for this, the entire series, the story goes like this. The word of God came to Jonah to go to Nineveh to preach uh, repentance or, or really destruction to the wicked city. And rather than go to Nineveh, uh, Jonah goes 3,000 miles in the opposite direction to Tarshish. Uh, when Jonah hops on a boat to go 3,000 miles away, God sends a big storm that's about to destroy the ship. The people on the ship realize Jonah's the one that's responsible for the storm. And so they pick him up and they throw him in the water. And so Jonah's drowning in the sea, waves going over his head, and a giant fish comes, swallows him up. He sits there in the belly of the fish for three days as the fish swims him in the direction that God wanted him to go. He vomits him up on the land, and that gets us to where we're at today in Jonah chapter 3. So I invite you to look up at the screen as we uh, take a look at Jonah chapter 3 this morning. It says, then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message that I give you. And Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and he went to Nineveh. And now Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. And Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city proclaiming 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Now the Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed and all of them from the greatest to the least put on sackcloth. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, he took off his royal robes, he covered himself with sackcloth and sat down in the dust. And this is the proclamation the king of Nineveh issued. He said, by decree of the king and the nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God and let them give up their evil ways and their violence. For who knows, God may yet relent with compassion and turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and he did not bring on them the destruction that he had threatened. So this passage starts out, the word of the Lord comes to Jonah a second time. Why does the word of the Lord come to Jonah a second time? Well, it's because he rejected the word of the Lord the first time. He, he, he wanted to have nothing to do with it. God told him to go to Nineveh. He's going 3,000 miles in the other direction. And for many of us in here, especially those of us who are maybe more familiar with the Bible and maybe more, um, 
developed in our faith, been Christians longer and so forth, you can kind of be a little judgmental towards Jonah. You can look down on Jonah. How does a prophet of God reject the word of the Lord? And I think you have to be careful before you look down on Jonah because the reality is, is every one of us in here have rejected the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord tells us, don't lust. Yet, we still do. The word of the Lord comes to us and says, don't covet. But we still covet, don't we? The word of God comes to us and says, if you're going to come after me, you must be willing to take up your cross and follow me. But seldom are we really willing to take up the cross of Christ and follow him. The, the word of the Lord comes to us all the time and, and we just, we kind of ignore it and, and we reject it. I remember, um, I remember my high school years and so forth, I, I, I kind of felt a, what we use as a calling, uh, if you will, the word of God coming to me and saying, you know what, I want you to go and, and, and be a pastor. And, and I didn't outright reject that like Jonah did, but, but I wasn't completely embracing of it. So I, I, I kind of tried to do more of like, let's make a deal. And I've kind of told you that story before, like, uh, well, rather than, uh, rather than a pastor, how about like fighter pilot? You know, are, are we good with that, God? And, and he didn't seem to be going for that. Then I kind of threw out the option of weatherman, and, and he wasn't seeming to be too embracing of that either. Psychiatrist, I thought would, would be good. Um, spy, I prepared, took three years of Russian in high school. Um, FBI, I, I, I came up with quite a few, uh, but, uh, but he didn't really seem to be taking of it. Um, but what's interesting here with Jonah is when the word of God comes to him a second time, Jonah now receives God's word and accepts God's will. What's changed? Well, Jonah almost died the first time he rejected the word of the Lord. Remember, he's on that ship that's almost torn apart. He's thrown into the sea in which he almost drowns. He, he's, he's gulped up by a big stinky fish and shivering in there for three days before he's vomited up on the land. And, and, and all of this has a way of ultimately getting Jonah's attention so that when the word of God comes to Jonah a second time, Jonah receives it and he stops wrestling with God and wrestling with God's will. And, and one thing's for certain, once again, we can look down on Jonah for kind of wrestling with God and resisting his will. But, but when we look across scripture, uh, we, we see that time and time again, people of God resist the will of God. Uh, think about Moses. The way you learn the story of Moses in Sunday school was that God called Moses through this burning bush and, and told him to go to, to Egypt and, and, and Moses did and it's all pretty and stuff. But that's not how it goes. I just reread the story this morning as I was preparing for, for the message this morning. There's two chapters in, in, in a conversation between God and Moses where God's telling Moses to go and Moses is trying to come up with every reason why he shouldn't go. He's trying to resist the will of God. He, he's wrestling with God's will. And, and ultimately, the only way the conversation stops is it says the anger of the Lord started burning against Moses. And I'm here to tell you that when the anger of God starts burning against you, you, you better stop resisting the will of God. And, and so Moses did. But there's another really, really interesting story in the Bible that I think helps us to understand this, this, this wrestling with the will of God that, that Jonah has going on, that God literally 
wrestles with someone in the, in the scripture. And who this someone was is it was the grandson of Abraham. God chose Abraham to be the, the, the chosen people for Israel in, in whom the Savior would come. Well, with his grandson, literally, physically, God wrestles with him. Let, let, let's take a look at Genesis chapter 32, 22 to 32. It says, that night, Jacob, Jacob got up with his two wives with his two female servants and with his 11 sons and he crossed the ford of the Jabbok. And after he sent them across the stream, he sent over all of his possessions. Now Jacob was alone and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. And when the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. And the man said, your your name will no longer be Jacob, but it will be Israel. Because you've struggled with God and with humans and you've overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? And then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, it is because I saw God face to face, and yet he spared my life. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the tendon that's attached to the socket of the hip, because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon. Now, On the surface, it looks like Jacob, the grandson of of Abraham, is literally wrestling the almighty God, and and it's like a standstill, like God can't overpower him, and, and that's not at all what's going on here. God, what's interesting is, is the Jews see this as not God wrestling. They see it as, as angel wrestling. Uh, Christians tend to see this as God because uh, Jacob makes the, 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 the point, you know, I've seen God face to face. And so... With God wrestling Jacob here, he's wrestling the way like some of you dads wrestled your sons when they're three years old. You know, boys like to wrestle, right? And, you know, it's not like you're going to, as a dad and your kid's three three years old, you're going to teach them a lesson and you're going to pin them down quick, right? So you just go along with it like you're playing around and, and, and you want them to feel good about themselves. So you, you may even like let them pin you down and you know, they, they just, they feel all good about themselves. That's what's going on here. Like God could have squashed Jacob like an ant because what does Jacob say? He, he, he says he, the reason he names the place what he did is, the way he did is because he said, I saw God face to face and my life was spared. God knew, or Jacob knew, that God could have squashed him like an ant. And then God renames Jacob to the name Israel. And there's something significant about that name because that name Israel means he who wrestles with God. And that's what the descendants of Jacob are going to be forever then referred to as Israel. And as we look at Israel uh, throughout their existence, they're always wrestling with God. Moses wrestled with God. Jonah wrestled with God. Israel was constantly wrestling with God. The last fun fact about this, and I didn't even realize this, John pointed it out to me, and uh, I think there's a joke to be made. So Jacob is like 97 years old when he's wrestling with God here. 
He lived to be about 140. So, I mean, he's starting to get old, but he's 97 years old and he basically busts a hip, right? So, see? I just thought it was interesting. But in the end, Jacob surrendered as Jonah surrendered. My question to all of us in here this morning is this. Have you ever wrestled with God? I think we all probably have. Every one of us in here have wrestled with God at different points in our lives. And I think some of us in here are wrestling with him right now. I have to tell you, like, I don't, I don't think, I, I'm not saying I've never intentionally wrestled with God, but sometimes I figure out later that, man, I, I'm wrestling with God. And I said God kind of communicates to us all differently because we all hear him differently. But here's how I hear when I'm wrestling with God is we've all seen those like documentaries of like salmon trying to swim upstream. And like they're, they're swimming away and swimming away, but, but, but the river's going the other way and they're not even really making any progress. They're jumping, they're leaping, they're banging into rocks, they're getting bloody. You know, you've got bear claws going for them trying to, you know, when, when my life is hitting like that kind of resistance, when, when I'm taking a, a, a square peg and I'm pounding on it endlessly to try to get it into a, a round hole, that's when I'm like, you know what? I wonder if I'm like trying to resist the will of God here. And one thing that like, I know for certain, once I realize I'm trying to resist the will of God, that's when I surrender because in the end, we, we can't resist the will of God. Scripture says this about the will of God. Look at Isaiah 46, nine to 10. He says, I am God and there's no other. I'm God and there's none like me. I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times, what is to come, I say, my purpose will stand and I will do all that I please. You see, God says that it's his purpose, not yours, not mine, but his purpose that's gonna stand. He's gonna do what he wants and what he pleases, not what we want and what we please. Look at Proverbs 19.21. Many are the plans of a person's heart but it is the Lord's purpose that will prevail. Your purpose is not going to be the one that prevails. Mine's not going to be the one that prevails. It's God's will, and it's God's purpose that will. Ephesians 5, 15 to 17 says this, be very careful then how you live. Don't live as the unwise, but live as the wise. Make the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. And therefore, don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Why is it so important for us to understand what the Lord's will is? Is because it's what we prayed in the Lord's Supper before we took communion. We prayed, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And, and when we say on earth as it is in heaven, we're, we're praying that God's will would be done in our lives. And so we should want to understand what the Lord's will is so that we don't try to stand in opposition to it because ultimately his will will be done. Psalm 33.10 says this, the Lord foils the plans of the nations and he will thwart the purposes of the people. God will thwart the purposes of the people. His will will be done. So I wonder how many of us in here are battling, are wrestling with the will of God in our lives right now. 
professionally? How many of you are trying to battle the Lord's will on what you want to do with your life professionally and what he wants to do? Uh, where you're going to work or where you don't work? How long you work when you retire? I mean, some of us in here are maybe battling God's will on that. Here's the thing that's interesting about God's will is sometimes God's trying to give us stuff in our lives. Like he wants us to go in a certain direction to do certain things and, and, or be a certain way or what have you. And, and, and he's trying to give this to us and say, here, take it. But, but it's not what our will is. And we refuse to take the blessings and, and, and the different things that, that the plans that he has for us, we refuse to take them and he's trying to give it to us. And then conversely, some of us, we're just holding on to things that ultimately he wants us to set down and, and let go of. And so we won't take the things that he's trying to give us. We won't let go of the things that, 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 that it's time to let go of. Scripture says that there's a time and a place for everything under heaven, but our, our will can battle with the will of God in those situations. Some of you in here are battling with the will of God in terms of your beliefs. You've got family members who, who maybe aren't believers. You've got family members who, who aren't living in a way that's in accordance with Scripture. So you're battling the will of God. Like, am, am I going to be supportive of my family or am I going to hold true to the word of God, even, even though it might hurt someone I care deeply about? Some of you are battling God's will in, in, in lifestyle choices. Some of you are battling God's will in, in financial choices that you're making in your life. Some of you might be battling God's will in terms of, you know, to what level you're going to serve God and, at his church or to help people who are in need or, or, or to give financially to the church. You know God is calling for you to, to, to put him first, but you're battling him in his will in your life on that. Some of you, you're just, just when it comes to something small like the rest of your life, you're battling the will of God on that. There's so many different ways in which we can wrestle with God. Jonah wrestled with God, but he ultimately surrendered. Moses wrestled with God, but he ultimately surrendered. Jacob wrestled literally with God, but he ultimately surrendered. Which leads me to my next point. It's okay to wrestle with God, sometimes, as long as you are ultimately willing to surrender. God is, God is a loving and patient father, and he puts up with us. And he knows that sometimes we, we're, we just got to figure things out for ourselves. We can be like our kids were when they're teenagers, Right? You know, when your kids are young, they look up to mom and dad, they, they, they hold you in high esteem, but then they become teenagers and they just, they, they know you're an idiot, right? And, and they don't want to listen to you anymore and, 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 and they start wrestling your will, right? And, and sometimes you have no choice but to let them kind of figure it out. That's kind of how God will give us space and allow us to kind of figure things out ourselves. Now, a good child even when he like, gets to that phase when he or she thinks their parents are idiots, they'll eventually grow out of it and, and look to you again with uh, respect and, and, and respect your wisdom and understanding and so forth and, and hold you in, in, in high regard and, and probably not be working against you. But a disobedient child won't. A disobedient child is going to just keep 
thinking you're an idiot and, and keep doing things the wrong way, keep making life hard for themselves, keep making bad decisions, and, and just keep themselves in this very negative loop. Some of us in here this morning, it's all right if at times you wrestle with God. We're all going to do it sometimes, knowingly or unknowingly, but, but we have to come to those points in our lives in which we raise that white flag and we're willing to surrender to God. For some of us, we've been wrestling far too long. And what we need to do is surrender. Next point is this. What we see here in Jonah chapter three is that God has a way to work through life. And when I look at, at life in general, uh, life will tend to, God working through life will, will either make you a better person or you will become a bitter person. If we learn to surrender to God, God will use life to make us a better person. But if we refuse to surrender to God, we will become bitter people. And are you a better person as you age or are you a bitter person? God used Jonah's experiences of being on a ship that was almost destroyed, being thrown in the water and almost drowning, being swallowed and shivering cold in the belly of the fish for three days and vomited up on the, on the land. He used that to make Jonah a better person so that when the word of the Lord came the next time, he was willing to receive it. When I look at Greg at 51, Greg at 51 is, is a better person for the most part than Greg at 21. Don't get me wrong, some things are worse. I went to the eye doctor a couple months ago and she said, you're starting to get cataracts. What are you talking about, lady? Cataracts are like for old grandmas or something, right? You're starting to get cataracts. About 10 more years, right? Then you, then you can have them removed. I, I can't be getting cataracts. If you like see me take my first few steps in the morning, if I was a horse and you're the farmer, you'd shoot me and put me on my misery. My skin isn't as tight as what it once was. And my clothes don't fit as well. So all right, physically, I'd prefer the 21-year-old Greg. But in terms of me as a person and, and, and what God's done through me and through the things that I've experienced in life, I'm here to tell you, I'm a far more patient person at 51 than I was at 21. I'm a far less judgmental person. I'm way more understanding. I'm way more compassionate. I'm way more empathetic. I have a greater sense of peace in my life. I have a much greater faith. And I have to tell you, you have to work really hard at Greg at 51 to make him angry because at Greg at 21, it would not have taken nearly as much. So in general, when I look at Greg at 51 versus 21, like 51's way better. And I hope and pray that, that until the, the day the Lord calls me home, he will continue to use life to make me a better person. Scripture says he does just that. Romans 8.28, one of my favorite passages, God will use all things for the good of those who love him. That is, even in the most difficult things, the most unwanted things that we have in our lives, if we receive that in faith, if we surrender to God, God will use that to make us a better person. Isaiah 64.8 says this, Yet you, Lord, are our Father. We are the clay, you are the potter. We are the work of your hands. I love that passage. God is the potter and we're the clay. How does the potter mold the clay? He molds you through life. He molds you through the experiences that you face. 
Isaiah 48, 10 says this, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tried you in the furnace of affliction. It's through that furnace of affliction that God makes us into the people that we are and hopefully better people rather than bitter people in the same way that the fire purifies the, 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 the bad metals from the precious metals. God will use the afflictions of our lives for the same. And Job 12, 12 says this, is not wisdom found amongst the aged? Does not life bring understanding? You see, God is trying to use life to make you a better person, but it's only going to happen if you surrender to God and you stop wrestling to God in your life. I said, if we surrender, he will make us a better person. But if we don't surrender to God, what we're going to be left is a bitter person. I mean, how many of us in here are maybe more on the bitter side? How many of us resent where we are at in life right now? When we look at our life, we're like, man, I, I thought at this age I would be happier. I thought at this age I'd be more comfortable. I thought at this age, you know, I, I'd be enjoying life more and you, you're just bitter about life. For some of us in here, we've never learned the secret of being content. And so many of us have this understanding that to be content is bad. No, to be lazy is bad, but, but to be content is good because either you're content or you covet. If you're content, you're going to be a better person because God has me here for whatever reasons, whether I like it or I don't like it, he has me here and I'm going to brace where I'm at and I'm going to accept it. That's if you're content. If you're coveting, you always want to be somewhere else and something better. And we're told that to covet is, is to evil, but to be content is, is to be godly. Paul learned the secret of being content. But, but if we're more of that never content, always coveting, then we're probably not happy with any part of our lives. We're probably not happy with our finances. We're probably not ha happy with our family. We're not probably happy with our friends. We're probably not happy with our jobs. We're probably not happy with our relationships. Because a lot of us in here, we, we've been hardened by the hurts of life. We've had a harder life than, than what we deserved. And as a result, we've become bitter at life. We've become bitter towards others. We've come bitter to God. How do you go from being bitter to better? You gotta raise that white flag of surrender to God. You know, you, you gotta, I love the story of Joseph, right? You remember the story of Joseph uh, who, who his brothers beat him up, threw him into a well, sold him into slavery in Egypt. Uh, he ends up being thrown in the dungeon, the king's dungeon in Egypt, becomes second in command of Egypt. His brothers eventually come to Egypt because they need food. They come across his brother and his brothers realize this. These are his brothers that, that, that did him so wrong. They were afraid of their lives of their brother because they knew that they had done evil evil to Joseph, but I love Joseph's attitude about it. He wasn't bitter to them. He wasn't bitter that he was robbed of his time with his family and, and, and his dad and, and, and being forced into a situation he didn't want to be a part of. He became better. He said, what you intended as evil, God intended as good. We've got to see the, the, the hardships of life, uh, the, the things that we don't even appreciate, that God will work good through them. And, and honestly, we've got to take some responsibility sometimes too, that there's certain things that we've we've done that we probably shouldn't have and, and our, our, our choices that we make carry consequences and so forth and in the end trust that God will somehow work good through them if we just raise that white flag and we surrender to God. And even if not, right? 
what we have is we have a hope. We have a hope that through faith in Jesus Christ, no matter the difficulties that we face in this life, it, they pale in comparison, absolutely pale in comparison to the promise of what God is going to give us in heaven in which there's no more sorrow and no more tears. God used very painful things in Jonah's life to make him a better person. If you're a bitter person, surrender to God and become a better person rather than bitter. The last thing I want to talk about, and I don't want to talk about this too long because this is what I'm going to talk about a lot next week, is, is what we see in the story is Nineveh repents. And when I say, what is the most miraculous thing that you'll see in the book of Jonah? Everyone be like, man, that guy was thrown in the water. Some big fish sucked him up and he sat in his belly. He was vomited up three days later. That is a crazy miracle. I have to tell you what, that, the fact that Nineveh repents is a crazier miracle. Because Jonah goes to Nineveh. Nineveh is a wicked city, the most wicked city on the face of the earth at the time. These aren't followers of God. These aren't God's children. And Nineveh goes there and he says, 40 more days and y'all are going to be wiped out. There's no promise of anything being any different. And what happens is even though this is an extremely evil city, people start like stopping their evil ways. And, and word comes to the king himself who takes off his royal robes. He declares a fast, like he's not going to eat. He's not going to drink. No one else is going to eat or drink. He puts on sackcloth, scratchy, you know, like potato sack clothing to make himself so uncomfortable. It's a sign of repentance. He not only declares everyone's going to wear sackcloth, but, but the, the animals and the livestock are going to wear sackcloth too. The, the king sits in, in dirt and ashes and throwing it upon himself. They're, they're repenting before God. And, and what's crazy about that is these wicked people are repenting in this way. God's own children never repented that way when the prophets came to them. Uh, when Elijah was, was standing up before King Ahab, these are children of, of God. These are the people of Israel. Uh, the, Ahab rejects them. The people rejects them. All of God's prophets, except a handful of people, have been put to death. There's hundreds of false prophets in the land. That's God's own people that do that. The prophet Amos warns that the northern kingdom's about to be conquered unless the, the people of Israel repent. They refuse to listen to Amos. They, they refuse to listen to Isaiah and to Ezekiel. And so if you want to think about the greatest miracle in the story of Jonah, it's not that the, uh, Jonah's been sucked up in the belly of a big fish. It's that these evil people repent before God when God's own children throughout Scripture don't ever do it. I don't really want to, as I say, mention any more about that because that's a big part of what my message is going to be next week. But I just want to encourage you once again with these words, like all of us in here at times are gonna wrestle with God. And some of you are wrestling with him right now. It's our right to wrestle with God for a little while. But in the end, you gotta understand it's his will that's gonna be done, not yours. And so surrender, because by not surrendering, you're just gonna become a bitter person. But when we learn to surrender to him and allow him to shape us and to mold us, even through the, the most painful things that we've experienced in our lives, we will become better people rather than bitter people. Do you join me in a word of prayer? 
Gracious Almighty God, we just thank and praise you for this morning to be able to gather together and, and to worship you and to celebrate the Lord's Supper and to receive your body and your blood for the forgiveness of our sins and, and to hear this message, gracious God, of Jonah chapter three. And I just pray for all of us in here, merciful God, as we just, we resist your word when it comes to us as Jonah did. Help us to not resist it, but embrace it. And help us, gracious God, for those of us who are wrestling with you right now, uh, to be willing to raise that white flag, to surrender and to submit to you, gracious God. And, and whatever it is that we're submitting to you in, whatever difficulties that, that we've experienced in our past, that in it and through it, gracious God, that you'd make us better and that we could leave our bitterness behind. We pray this in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen.